Hello and welcome to Quarter Time Podcast. I'm Lucy G. And I'm Lucy P. And we're here to bring you all the netball goodness you never knew you needed. So a big welcome everyone and thank you for joining us for the first of our live podcasts. Uh, We're going to be discussing the first couple of days of Birmingham Commonwealth Games 2022. A little bit of housekeeping, this space is being recorded for any netball fans who aren't able to listen and this will be released in the next day or two. If you want to send in some questions or comments, we absolutely love hearing from you. Uh, Lucy P will be monitoring the hashtag. We're going for B2022Netball. B2022 Netball. Uh, Do share your thoughts, comments, musings, unpopular netball opinions, everything. Um, We'll try and shout out as many of them as possible. Uh, As always, the athletes that we are talking about are real people who have real feelings and may listen to this live or on playback. So please bear in mind of any comments that we um, that you send in that we might read out and just make sure to be respectful at all times, which we do anyway, because we're a great bunch. So on the live pod today, we'll be starting off with a broad look at the teams and matches so far before digging in a little bit deeper into the Roses, the other home nations, and then some key talking points, which will include the disparity between the higher and lower ranked nations, some umpire queries and a discussion around uh, sort of the starting seven versus a rotating 12. So every team has now taken to court. Uh, as we are on day three, which is fabulous. And I think we've already seen some incredible displays of netball early doors, but we've also seen some seriously big goal margins. Before we come on to some specific talking points, um, we just want to get a little bit overview of your thoughts so far from our speakers. So, Vix, welcome on to the live pod. We're going to start with you. How are you doing and what your thoughts so far? Hi, sorry about that. Technology is not my friend. <laughs> you and me both, pal. You and me both. <laughs> um, yeah, thoughts so far. Gosh, what what an exciting tournament, isn't it? Great. It's it's been in the making for a long time, and and I know Commonwealth Games was was supposed to be in twenty twenty two, but because of COVID, it just feels like it's been so much longer. And mm. um, so I'm just thrilled that it's here. Um, I'm I'm thrilled that that everyone from a Wales perspective is is on court and, and intact after game one yeah. um, but it's so great to see some nations that that we don't typically get to see in action either in person or on screen so it's, it's fab to see Barbados it's great to see um, the African nations it's great to see the Caribbean nations um, yeah just enjoying loving life really enjoying um, my com games experience my first one as, as a CEO Mm, yeah, we were going to ask you about that. It's a, a really interesting, such a special experience to be able to hold or to attend the games in in that kind of position as CEO. And are there any players that have kind of stood out for you so far across any of the games that we've seen? It, it's difficult not to be biased. <laughs> um, <laughs> we'll let I, you off. <laughs> I certainly think our, our Celtic Dragons class of 22, so so the, the players that were in the franchise this season just gone, just, just I think a, a quick heads up or, or a quick shout out to, to our, our ones that are in leadership positions. So Shaquan de Green, Noel, captain of Trinidad and Tobago, tough mm-hmm. first game for her as as captain. And I, I said, I sent her a little message and I said, look, this, this, that, that one result doesn't define you as a captain. You know, you're, you're, you're going to go on to bigger and better things, but she's taking it all in her stride and, and doing amazing stuff on and off court. Um, 
the Feberadamen as well. What an absolute whipper! And South Africa, that I think that game was was always going to be one that people were going to keep their eye on because I think that the the um, the the final sort of semi final spot. I know I'm jumping the gun. Sorry, I know we'll <laughs> talk about this later, but. That that semi final spot for for me was was between South Africa and Jamaica, so that game was really interesting indeed. And then obviously um, Nia and Susie co captaining Wales, which is amazing. And the other Welsh girls, all the Welsh team were brilliant. And then Hannah Leighton from Scotland as well, doing an amazing mm-hmm. job on court. Uh, so obviously those those are the ones that have stood out. But Jamaica, just as an aside, what what a team! Yeah, I mean, it's hard to look past them, isn't it? Like that performance yesterday against South Africa was very, very convincing. And um, we'll we'll come on to that a little bit later. So I'm going to pause that thought there because there's so much to chat around that. Um, Michelle, I'm going to come to you. Um, have you been able to catch all of the games so far? What have been your thoughts? Yes, well, I've been trying to keep across it as best I can. Obviously, we have a bit of a a time difference to contend with as well. So um, sometimes I'm kind of trying to stay up and watching my eyes are eyes are closing as I'm doing it. <laughs> it's a little tough. Um, yeah, I mean it's a very different experience for me this year because um, someone said to me it's it's um, it's quite odd for me to be a spectator at Commonwealth Games. I did my first Commonwealth Games 20 years ago in 20. 20- 2002 wow. um, and so this is sort of the first Commonwealth Games um, in a long time where I haven't been there and I've been a spectator so it's um, it's a little it, it's a different experience obviously for me and um, I'm kind of keeping keeping abreast of, of what the umpires are up to everyone's keeping me informed which is is lovely of them um, mm. I guess I'll talk about it a little bit from I guess an umpire's perspective so clearly a, a huge achievement to get to do a Commonwealth Games and not all umpires do. So the um, the 13 umpires that are there, this is a real highlight for them of their career. We have a lot of them who are in their first Commonwealth Games. We only have, I think, three who've been to one before. So that's um, Gary, who obviously is like the wallpaper and he's always there. Um, <laughs> Gary Burgess, um, Josh Bowring, um, he's done the last two. And then um, Angela Armstrong-Lash from New Zealand. I think this is her second one. So... Um, we have sort of, you know, 10 people who are in their first Commonwealth Games, so um, amazing for them. Mm. It is always interesting once you get started. It's, um, being a multi-sport event, it has some differences in terms of logistics, uh, uniforms, transport, bits and bobs like that. So it is a little different to a solely netball event and you need to hit the ground running and be able to um, adjust quickly. And then, mm. of course, there's the the added interest of, you know, getting to an event where you probably haven't seen a lot of the other teams before and particularly with COVID for the last couple of years, um, cancelling out a lot of international games, you will have a lot of umpires who are walking out to see teams in person for the very first time and that can take a little while to get to the runoff certainly looking at the early games I think you know the umpires are finding their feet with some of the teams that are playing in a style that they're less accustomed to and so Mm. it takes a little bit of time to get the run of the different styles different patterns of play different timings of movement um, little idiosyncrasies that um so that's an adjustment that they're going to need to make, you know, fairly quickly because we get to the business end quite quickly. Mm-hmm. Uh, certainly in terms of the umpires who are perhaps less familiar with styles like, you know, the English and Australian styles, which are very hard, fast running styles of play. Um, I think the speed is something that covers a little bit of a culture shock, mm-hmm. um, particularly, I mean, you know, in the first Australia's first game in particular with those lovely 25 goal quarters that umpires always enjoy greatly. Yeah. Um, that, <laughs> 
that was uh, that would have that certainly would let you know that you've arrived. Mm. Um, but look, I think I think one of the things that to me has been quite clear is that um, the umpires did have a pre a pre games camp for a couple of days where they were able to meet and have some sessions and talk about. I guess, consistency and uniformity of interpretations, which is an important thing, having people mm-hmm. coming from different countries where there are some differences. Obviously, in Australia, we have the added um, rule modifications that are around super netball. So um, for everyone to sort of get together and say, okay, this is how these sorts of procedural things are to be handled and probably the, the ones that I've noticed the most are around holding time. Um, there's mm. sort of been a, a very consistent holding of time um, when the ball goes out of court, which um, certainly ha- was a bit of a topical conversation during SSN finals. So clearly that's been a discussion that's been had. Um, and also I think around game management. Um, there's been some commentary I've noticed on Twitter that there's been quite a lot of game management early in the tournament, which is, to be honest, to be expected mm-hmm. when the umpires are going out to set expectations. But I think there's been a lot of clarity in the guidance that's been given to the players around the wording, and that's, I think, very important. Uh, so yeah. you can certainly see that sort of uniformity um, and common approach so far, which is is beneficial for the players and the teams because it lets them know where they stand. Yeah, no, it's really interesting you say that. And we've got a lot of umpire questions later on as well. So we'll sort of swing back Uh around to that a little bit. (laughs) It's just so much to talk about. I'm going to try and squeeze it all in. Um, But Tracy, I'm going to come to you. What what are your overall thoughts of the game so far from what we've seen? Um, I think um, just reiterating what Michelle said, I think you can definitely see the nations and the the team white um, umpires who have had very limited exposure to international netball over the last three, four years um, when COVID hit. Um, but I think that will warm up. I think the question for me is, um, is this the format that we're going to continue to run with to improve world netball? Um, you know, I I I start I played the first Commonwealth Games in 1998, and we're still running with the same format of Pool A and Pool B. Is that the best to make netball more competitive? And if it is, do we have to do more um, within world netball to improve the international calendar for all nations who can potentially, with the right investment, right training, right environments, can start to improve the standard of um, netball throughout the world really um, you know some you know to watch, to watch a game that teams are being beaten by 40 um, it, it's not great for um, advertisement it's not great for them teams as well um, mm. and, and there has been some improvements and I'm speaking from a very positive angle here um, but I know in 2015, um, when the world, you know, when the World Cup was in Sydney, I, did, I know that the format did change. Where, and it isn't just about the top nations playing each other. You know, there's, there's some great competitive matches that can happen. But do we need to go to, you know, four pools um, and then have a bigger run up? Because you know, people, teams like Uganda, you saw South Africa against Jamaica last night. Now these teams, you know, that their style you know, actually can suit other teams where, the, you know, they can take a pin to, com- you know, compete a little bit more to them semi-finals, but also, com- you know, provide a lot more competitive matches leading into them finals as well. Mm. Or we change the format of the finals around. I just think I just think more can be done. Um, I just don't think we should be running with the same format that we did in 1998 if we want to improve um, netball as a competition. 
Yeah, that is absolutely fascinating. It's not actually an approach I'd sort of considered before. I think that's a a genuine thing that should be probably looked at ahead of the next Commonwealth Games because, you know, the margins from day one, they were pretty significant. The one that sticks in my mind was obviously Australia-Barbados. That was 95 to 18, I think, from memory. And although this is, you know, like you say, it is to be expected and the games are still good, you know, I'll, I'll still watch every single one, but it does... It, it presents a lot of challenges and it must be difficult for those players. And I think, you know, Vicky, I'm going to come to you for this one. Wales are obviously ranked eighth in the world. How beneficial is it to come up against the likes of the top five nations at competitions like this, where the scoreline might be, um, you know, really tricky and it might be quite large, but what are the key learnings that you can take from those kind of experiences? Um, yeah, I was actually just having this conversation, and and the phrase "you learn more in in defeat than victory" is is one that that's come up quite a lot since the Jamaica game for us. Um, mm. For us, we're, we're eighth in the world. We we are targeting top six, as probably most other nations around us are. So our intention to get there is is really clear, and we need to be playing teams that are ranked above us. We hosted South Africa for a two match test series just before the Commonwealth Games. Um, on the second day, they only beat us by 10. So there was significant progress. It was 17 on match day one and, and a 10 deficit on match day two. So we can see straight away improvements there when when we play these teams. Um, and you learn more about them as well. You know, you learn you learn ways to, to win quarters from them and hopefully that will eventually turn into winning games from them. But absolutely beneficial. We, we had the sort of the narrowest... Um, losing margin on on day one and that's something that we hope to keep repeating throughout the tournament when we do come up against sort of the the big top four and um, for us it's incredibly beneficial. Vicky I've got a really good question to ask you actually because um, obviously leading into um, the Commonwealth Games um, you know there, there was a lot of talk about why you know you weren't playing people like Scotland and uh, Northern Ireland you know you have you know I almost feel that you know, the teams that are ranked below the four are happy to play the teams above them because they don't lead the world rankings. Because, you know, I, I get, you know, I, I've obviously on the netball scene um, and I hear all the time and it is quite upsetting to hear teams say that they won't play other nations because they don't want to lose their place in the rankings because that actually, one, gets them funding, one, gives them a little bit more status. And, you know, I think this is where we we really need to look at one, when we're ranking these countries to that the impact of you playing more and more test matches is not going to impact stuff like you know your world rankings and stuff like that or is there a better system that we can come up with that actually encourages lower nations teams to compete more regularly against each other um, and also be exposed to the bigger teams as well. Yeah, absolutely. And and we did play Scotland in the run-up to the Commonwealth Games. It, it was a little bit earlier this year and it was up in Scotland. It was behind closed doors. So there's there's certainly a willingness for us to, to play and, sort of... But why was that not done as a test match, Becky? Because I, I, I was under the impression that you didn't do that as a test match because none of you wanted to lose any place in your world rankings. Is that true? No, that, that that's not the reason at all. I think it, it was something that needed to happen it was it was a training game we wanted more quarters than just four unfortunately a test match doesn't lend itself to to that so the most beneficial outcome for for both um countries was a longer test match where you you have a longer amount of quarters to 
to learn and try out different <laughs> combinations. So no, not not because we didn't want it to be a test match at all. Although as a side note, test matches are a lot more complex to all, as you'll know, Tracy, a lot more complex to organise within a shorter space of time. And coming out of COVID, it, it, the sort of the the time allowed to organise officials and get them registered takes takes a little bit longer. But a training match can be organised fairly quickly. Yeah, I, I, I totally get where you're coming from um, on the training games and stuff like that. I think for me, um, I'm not sure if I agree with you there, Vicky. I think, um, you know, I've been in international netball for a long time and I know for a fact that, you know, you know, it does play impact on you. Do you know what I mean? Like we we as a nation, um, when we won the Commonwealth Games, we went to Jamaica um, not long after that um, and we went with actually a development team and we were playing internationals and Jamaica beat us 3-0 um, and we were actually were, we were ranked actually number two in we actually got up to number two in the world of winning the gold medal and we come down to you know I think we got back down to four on, on that particular occasion because of um, Jamaica had then gone and beat New Zealand but we were still putting ourselves up against the top nations and I think for me that really needs to be looked at because um, you know if I look at how many test matches and I know we say about Covid people have had over the last um, you know few years then th- that is one of the you know indicators why people don't go and play against each other because it affects the world rankings and it's a real shame that that is, that is one of the caveats um, of, of netball being played. I think it's... Yeah. Oh, sorry, go on, sorry. Go on. That's okay. Yeah, Tracy, I think I think you make a really good point and it's something I've certainly thought about just very recently. So I've recently come out of um, being on the, um, the international appointments panel on Oceania qualifiers. And so there we had sort of three teams ranked 14, 15, 16, plus Tonga who were at that stage unranked but actually were the top qualifier to go through and um, were incredibly impressive. And, you know, it's one of those things that when you look at, I mean, you know, the calibre of some of the games, I mean, Fiji played Samoa for the, the final spot and that was a bit of a fight to the death to be honest. Um, it, was, it was a very challenging game um, on a number of levels. But I think one of the things that I came away from that tournament thinking was that, you know, countries in that sort of bracket, um, you know, if, I think if we kind of look at, you know, Barbados, Trinidad, um, you know, Scotland, Wales, I mean, Scotland, Wales obviously ranked slightly higher, um, but then you have, you have Fiji's and Tonga. And, I mean, I think Tonga are really going to press at the World Cup. I wouldn't be surprised to see them end up top 10 because they're very impressive. Um, you know, having those teams play each other more frequently um, and also play, you know, the African teams, I think has so many advantages in terms of not only that battle hardening, but also I think playing those different styles more regularly, whereas if you are yeah. playing sort of within your own region more often, you know, everyone plays the same. So it's, it's sort of very... Um, it's, it's a similar style of play, whereas, you know, if you're playing Uganda, you're playing um, Fiji, you're playing... Um, Trinidad and Tobago, it's a completely different style of play and it, you know, it teaches you different lessons. It accustoms you to different styles of play, you know, forces players to adapt. Uh, and I just I just wonder whether that is the area where, you know, World Nipple really needs to think about whether we're doing enough to improve that competitive balance between countries and to have a tournament like this where you have top 12 and, you know, if you have number one playing number nine or number three playing number eight, you know, there is a genuine, you know, a, a genuine interest in what the outcome is going to be because people aren't really sure, whereas at the moment I don't think that that exists. So I just wonder strategically 
where netball needs to go to improve that. And I mean, I know that finances are a massive issue. Um, the ranking points is an interesting one. I hadn't thought of that, so thank you, Tracy. I didn't know about that, um, <laughs> but I do. I do sort of wonder whether that really is the target area for world netball to to move things forward. Because the more teams we have that are competitive, the more interesting these tournaments become. Yeah. And this is nothing against. I I love our home nations. It's you know I loved supporting them when I was in the Roses role, and um, but there should be no fear in respect to playing against other nations at test matches. Yep. Um, so does that mean that we have to take out the world ranking status, at, you know, for them to play each other? But that's what we should be encouraging because the big nations at the moment are so far away, um, you know, that actually we should be encouraging nations. Well, I'm going to speak for the home nations because. They're, they're a passion, you know, they're a passion that are close to me. And I just think we should be encouraging them to play. I know for a fact that Scotland played Barbados earlier on in the year and they chose to only play two test matches because, you know, they've not seen Barbados for a long time. If they'd have come over and beaten them, that would have, you know, that would have changed the world, um, their world ranking status. And that shouldn't be the case. That There shouldn't be fear of playing against other nations. As Michelle said, you know, there's other na- there's other nations out there Um who, you know, need to be playing against each other. And yes, there is a funding issue, but the, does this then become down to resources? Um, or do, like I say, do, do what can we do as a nation? And that's what we need to do in, to improve world netball. Mm. Yeah. I, I find this absolutely fascinating. And there's a, a really great comment on the hashtag, isn't there, Luce? Yeah, so Jeremy, thanks, Jeremy, for tweeting in. He said, the focus on world rankings is interesting. Oz is ranked number one in the world at the moment, but I think most Diamonds fans would trade that in a heartbeat for a current Com Games or World Cup title. Interesting. I mean, I think that's absolutely true, though. And I think part of the problem with the world ranking concerns is that it takes so long for it to sort of really shift like we know that Oz are currently um trophyless besides um was it cod series but yet they're still ranked world number one it takes a long time for that to change because of all the historical domination that they've had but also the other thing that's been mentioned which um is sort of key for me from like a spectator point of view is the uh the funding thing and i think because there's so much reliance on being in that top five or in that top 12 etc for funding teams probably are a little bit nervous about playing because if they then drop out of the top 12 into 13th there's ramifications for that like not being able to play in the vitality netball super league for example you have to be in a top 12 ranked team to be able to play that so the, tracy you're probably right there probably is a bit of nervousness around that but i think on the funding thing as well i was, I was reading an article this morning around that kind of funding to support disparity and i learned that in malawi there is not a single professional grade court not a single professional grade court, which absolutely blew my mind. And obviously they are ranked sort of slightly higher up. Um, but I think it's pretty incredible to think of what could be for netball as a whole if there was greater equality across the board to improve the financial, physical, mental well-being and development of our athletes. But then, of course, that also affects our our coaches and umpires too. It's There's almost like there's so much to it. You're like, where to begin? Yeah, <laughs> yeah I think the puzzle. Yeah, I think the, um, the 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 pathways for coaches and umpires point is also a really important one. I mean, having having gone and done some work in Africa, one of the things that you know that really strikes me as something that in in many ways is a limiting factor for the success of those countries is the lack of umpiring pathways because you often have a situation where girls learn to play at school. 
the teacher's umpire at school, and then they don't play for a while. And if they go back, it's often in work-related teams. And so you have this big gap in the umpiring pathway between teachers who umpire at school and then people who come in and umpire at, at an adult level without the sort of progression that you have in a country like Oh, you know, like Australia as an example, where you have so many competitions for umpires to move progressively through to umpire increasingly difficult games that are then commensurate with their improvement. Uh, and without, I guess, access to that umpiring, you know, I, I marvel at the fact that the African countries adapt so quickly when they come to these events because mm-hmm. it is a big culture shock for them to get some of the umpiring they get at these events because it is so different to what they get at home. Um, and for them to make those adaptations is very difficult. To umpire it is very difficult, and I'll be entirely honest about that. You know, it, it is challenging to be umpiring players who are used to such different interpretations, different communication, different standards in terms of what's tolerated and what's not, and it makes it really hard. And And you know, one of the things coming out of last World Cup that I remember discussing um, at World Netball level was, you know, we actually really need to get these countries more exposure um, mm. around umpiring, not only in terms of, of for, you know, for the benefit of the teams that are playing, but also to have that more regularly by upskilling in country because, you know, their teams can only be, good, be as good as the umpiring allows them to be. You know, that's mm. the whole thing about umpiring. Games can only be as good as umpiring lets them. So um, there, there are a lot of, of threads to it. That, that yeah. need to be explored. Yeah. I think as well, sorry, just to add to the, the finance discussion, it, it's not just about having the money to go and, and play. You know, it, some countries are fortunate they can go and play people across the other side of the world. It, for us in Wales, it's about having the players. You know, we they're not full-time athletes like mm. they are in in the higher-ranked countries. We, we can't just pull girls out of work to go and play a test match series they, they have to earn a living unfortunately at the moment they don't get that through netball we have doctors teachers sports coaches yeah. project managers and and they only get 25 days leave <laughs> and most yeah. of it is used by a netball so it's not just the funding to to actually buy the flights to go and play it's having the players to put on the plane yeah no, you're absolutely right. And we've got some more comments on the hashtag, haven't we, Luce? Yeah, a couple of bits have come in. So, um, um, hi, Em, and sorry to hear you're unwell with COVID. Hope you get better soon. Um, and as she said, I'd like more international matches as it helps give really talented players a platform. Really good to recognise the netball skill that is out there. And it's not always about the top four or five teams. And she also said appreciate financial and travel challenges, etc. Um, and Junior Levi, hi, Junior. Thanks for writing in. He said, at Michelle Fippard, always with the 100%. Very true. <laughs> uh, maybe World Netball should explore annual or biannual tournaments that focus on exposing the, tech, the second tier nations to each other. Volleyball has VNL for top nations and then a Challenger Cup for nations outside the top tier. Interesting. Yeah, so I mean, we have that in Europe. Sorry, Luce. We, we have yeah. that in Europe. So most, most years, with the exception of, of when there's a Com Games, we, we play a Europe Netball competition. So there mm-hmm. are. There's two divisions within that. There's a challenge division which has the lower ranked teams um, such as Gibraltar, Isle of Man, Malta. Um, and then there's a higher division which tends to just be the, the four home nations. So those tournaments are played most years and Europe Netball are doing a great job now of getting it possible for all of those games to be live streamed. So yes, those yeah. things will be on TV a lot more. Obviously, coming up in October is the World Cup qualifiers where you will see a lot of teams playing teams that are 
nowhere near them in the world rankings and most of those tournaments will be live streamed so there will be some probably some upsets some real surprises but there'll be a lot of netball on tv in october that that will feed that appetite yeah so much to look forward to um so yeah de- definitely keep your eye out on that everyone make sure we tune in the more eyes on the sport the more exposure the more conversation the more likely we are to um sort of push our sport forward I'm going to spring, swing us back round to um, some of the specific Com Games matches that we've seen. And I think given that we are, frankly, unapologetic Roses fans, <laughs> we're going to sort of dig into uh, England's performances a little bit deeper. Personally, I think they started off quite sluggish against Trinidad and Tobago, but then they started really well against Malawi. But one of the key talking points for the Roses is that the sort of famous combination of Hart and Halsby doesn't yet seem to be humming as well as we've anticipated. Trace, I'm obviously going to come to you on this one as you have coached this pair to win a Commonwealth Games, uh, Commonwealth Games gold medal before. What is the key to their success as a shooting duo? <laughs> um, well, let, let's look over the international calendar. Um, you know, Joe Hart and Helen Halsby have intermittently been in that squad. Um, Eleanor Cardwell, Sophie Drakeford-Lewis have been consistently represented over that international period. And then Helen Halsby and Joe Hart, due to COVID, um, you know, restrictions um, and limited time at international level. I know Joe Hart took a, a bit of a year out as well. She wasn't able to come in, in January because of um, mm. she got COVID. So, you know, there has been a little few hiccups coming into the competition. Let's not get let's not get away from the performance that Eleanor Cardwell is putting out at the moment. So at the <laughs> moment, she's making Joe Hart and Helen Howes have to fight for a position because at the moment she is the number one shooter <laughs> from my eyes, just watching yeah. the first two games. And from the season she's had, the confidence she puts out, the availability in the circle, her shot to goal, yeah. and the way she can move between the two positions. So I think we're, you know, we're undermining um the H two combination that has gone on obviously to win won me a gold medal in 2018 because now you've got a shooter who's competing to break that partnership up and is working very, very effectively with all the other three shooters that are being rotated with us. So you know, let's get let's not get away from the way Eleanor Cardwell's playing at the moment. But mm. I think for me, um, they're very quite strong-willed players. Um, they they're quite habitual in the way they play, and I think I think more time has to be spent. Um, and this is for coaches out there that when you bring a group of players together, you need to know what style and you know how they've been playing. You know, back in their own team. So if you look at Joe at Giants. She leads the whole of that um, that goal third in that Giants team. So she plays, she comes out a lot for ball. She does a lot of the ball handling. She does a lot of the shooting. And, you know, Dwyer works really well at getting in. So actually, you know, the way that Harton plays, you know, Dwyer really complements her by having that open circle and that freedom in that circle. Whereas if you look at Helen Halsby, you know, I know this year she's been playing with other combinations, but she predominantly plays a lot of the time with Sam Wallace, doesn't she? And, you know, you know, prop shooter, she runs, Sam Wallace opens up and so on and so on. And I think that the, the problem we have at the moment is, and I, I, I say this about Helen Halsby, you know, her timing into the circle is a little bit off. I think she's getting there a little bit too soon. I think Joe Harton with Helen coming out, um, she comes out quite wide, Joe, she comes a lot along that baseline and, that doesn't really complement Helen's game because she needs someone to actually drive at, to actually um, work off. 
And I, mm. I actually think it's just a little bit of a tidy up issue. The other thing, um, and I think I said it on, on Twitter, you know, I think it's just one, a timing issue between them. And it's a, really what they need to do is just sit down and just iron it out between them because they're both out of the circle for the ball. Um, if one's out, obviously the, the, the prediction would be that the other shoe are gone in and that's not happening. Or if Helen's in there, you know, she doesn't work really effectively from a prop position like Eleanor Cardwell does. However, you know, for times when, you know, and like I say, they are quite stubborn players. Um, and, you know, if you saw in, in the past when I played them, I do flip them round because if Joe Allen wants to come out, Helen does work that circle really well at goal shooter. And I think there'll be a time when you may need a moving shooter, particularly if, you know, Courtney Bruce is on, you know, Helen Housley plays very well as goal shooter on Courtney Bruce from, from historical performances. So, you know, there is time against New Zealand, you know, I haven't really seen Helen Housley play very well at goal attack against New Zealand in a major competition. And that's coming from a coach who started them in, the, in that particular position as well. So, you know, mm-hmm. there will be time um, when, you know, that needs to be flipped around. However, like I say, you know, I think we're really wanting that H2 combination to work, but we're forgetting the fact that Eleanor Cardwell's probably playing some of the best netball of her career. I mean, anyone who's been within a 10-mile radius of me recently would probably have heard me talk about Ellie Cardwell. <laughs> I'm absolutely obsessed with her at the moment. I just think the form that she's coming <clears throat> come into, excuse me, in the last, well, the last season that she played in Super League and how she's performing on the international stage is absolutely outrageous. Um, she's just too, too good. And I think we've got a few people on the hashtag who might agree with me. Yeah, so Lorna has written in and said, something that makes Ellie Cardwell so good is how she can adapt her play to suit the other shooter and bring them into the game. She has beautiful ball placement, that's difficult to say, and amazing playmaking skills. She is just so versatile. She absolutely is. But the thing that I love about her is that she never seems like phased or overawed by the occasion. She's just so cool, calm and collected. Like, is is this something that you can coach into someone or is this just an Ellie Cardwell personality trait? Do you know, I, I've i seen Ellie Cardwell go through some bad times within a netball. Um, you know, I've, I've seen her not enjoy it. I've seen her underperform. Um, I've, but, you know, what she is at the moment is she's she's got a confidence about her and a lot of it is the work that she's doing off court um a lot of it is the exposure that she's been getting and this is the first international calendar she didn't hardly play any positional um shooter under myself and let's bear in mind we you know we only converted her to a shooter when she was about 20 so Mm. this girl you know this girl played goalkeeper most of her life and she got dropped from the under 21 world youth team um, and basically, a netball career was probably coming to an end on the international stage. And we made that decision to, to get her to a shooter because we put her against our defenders in training and nobody could match her. Plus, she does have a little bit of a basketball background. Um, and that's why I laugh about the claw, because people are loving the claw about her, but they never saw it. Can you imagine the claw at goalkeeper? She, You know, from the age of 14... She was using the claw at goalkeeper, and it, and it wasn't a pretty sight. She's getting better at the, the claw. And anyone who knows Ellie, she's got the smallest hands ever as well. Um, you know, so it's not like she's like Joe Hart and with um, salad fingers. She's definitely um, small. She's definitely got a small hand. So we are, it's our little private joke about the claw, and we have a little bit of a smile about it. But to be fair, when Ellie Card- Cardwell's smiling, that's why I always say to her when she smiles, she's honestly, she's unreal when she's smiling. Yeah, she absolutely is. And for me, I think you're right, Trace. She is my 
she's got to be in that circle starting for me. Like she absolutely deserves the start. I think she can easily see out 60 minute game. And I think she, she will be the reason why we win gold for me. And I mean, speaking of gold, there has been a lot of great patches being shown by the Roses so far in the competition, but there has also been a fair bit of noise that they're not currently looking like they'll retain their gold. They not quite executing consistently. Vix, do you reckon that they'll be able to retain their gold? Well, no, Wales are going to win, of course. Um, <laughs> um, I, I, of course, I would love that to be the case, um, that, that Wales win. Um, <laughs> I, I think it's too early to tell. You you learn a lot throughout a tournament. It's a long tournament, even, you know, it's 10 days, but it will be incredibly long and, and they'll learn and get better. And, you know, they're a, they're a world-class side and and credit to, to Tracy being a part of that journey and, and to, to Jess and, and the other coaches that have been a part of all the players' journeys that are in the squad now. Um, there's definitely something to be said about it being on home soil. That that certainly adds an advantage. So, I, you know, I, they'll definitely be in the, in the final. And, yeah, I, I would back England to retain the gold for sure. Great. Love to hear that. You're a... Do you not, <laughs> do you not, do you not lose it? Do you not think at the moment that teams are just chugging on? Um, you know, teams are just chugging on. They know even even um, the you know the, the the teams that are ranked after four. Um, you know we, you know Jamaica day one. They they weren't great day one, but against South Africa they they come to play. Um, mm. You know you, you're looking even at yeah. I look at watching Scotland, um, Wales, and Northern Ireland. You know. You know, I love I love what the coaches are doing. They're playing against the top nations. They're not being blinded by the score. That they're, they're really retrospectively looking at it and thinking, this is an experience for these players. But the game that Wales, Vicky, and I might be speaking for you now, the girls, the the game that um, they want to win is the one tonight, not the one that was yesterday. Mm. Um, you know, and and it's about you know managing your players in that respect. And I think sometimes with um, the lower like ranked nations, you can look at a team and go. Oh, we just like you know Scotland in the first quarter did excellent against um, Australia, and you can be blinded by that as a coach, thinking, "Well, what I'll do is I'll keep the same seven on, just to you know see if we can keep this score as low as possible." But in in the you know in the great scheme of things, in the big picture, that that is not going to happen over four quarters against Australia, and they're realistic about that. that's what Tamsin do. She changed the team, but the game mm. she wants to win is the one tonight against Wales. And that's the one that we all want to watch because that's the one that they're going to be tested against. Yeah, yeah, I agree. I think, yeah, I think, I think too, Tracy. One of the things about that is that you know the tournament's not won in the first two rounds, and it's important to sort of remember that. I think you know you can sit there and say, oh, you know, they didn't look as sharp as we would have liked them to in game one or game two, but. You know, at the end of the day, the important games to win are, you know, the, the coaches know what the important games to win are and there's a, a need to sort of work to those. You know, there's planning around combinations for those. And, I mean, even talking about, you know, obviously the English goaling combination and having the lovely headache of, of having players of, you know, Joe and Helen's quality and then having Ellie Cargill playing as incredibly as she is at the moment. Um, even, even having those combinations and saying, well, you know, much as this is working and this isn't working as well, we need to have those options because at the pointy end of the week, the, you know, the horses for courses approach what might be working on a given day, what combinations you're coming up against and understanding that. So, and I mean, look, for me, I go back to 2018 and I look at the rounds in 2018 and, you know, Australia looked amazing. And 
even after the semi-final, you were sitting there saying, you know, who's going to beat Australia? Australia look amazing. And then they didn't win. <laughs> so, you know, it, I, I guess it's a matter that, you know, while, while we'd love to, we'd love our teams to play well in every single game and be able to say they look incredible, it's a long tournament. There are lots of mini goals, mini objectives, peaks and troughs within that space um, and management that needs to happen. And so... Um, I think we need to trust yeah. that yeah, that's something that Jess Thurby has completely under control here and um, is is um, working to a plan. And mm. I think as well, you have to look at the players in form. Um, you know, yeah. I would say every single one of them, Rose's players, has been in form for their Super League teams um, over the last year. I don't think there's one of them players that has underperformed at all. Mm. Um, you know, but when you put that collective group together, you know, it, it isn't just about individual performances within their Super League teams. It's how they perform over the tournament. You're also com- com- be, you know, com- competing against different styles. You know, yeah. if, if I if I look at Uganda in that 2018, we only beat Uganda by six goals when we won that gold medal. Um, and, you know, and that wasn't with Helen and Joe in shooting. That was with, Nat, you know, Nat Metcalf um, in, in that goal shooter role with... with you know, Helen at the back. So, you know, you're looking at different combinations, you're looking at different styles, you're looking at players that compete against them, different styles. And do you know what? We some of these nations haven't played against, you know, each other for a long time. So the sort it, it is sticky. I think to be fair, Michelle, I think Australia never seemed to have a sticky um, st- sticky coming through the tournament. I don't think I've ever seen them be sticky coming to a tournament until they get to semi finals. I think they've always had a quite a fluid process and unless you can um Prove me wrong there, Michelle. I think no. everyone else has had stick, a sticky going up to no, the semi-final. To, to be honest, Tracy, I think sometimes that's part of the problem, that you don't have those more difficult games. No, I, I genuinely believe it's true. I mean, mm. if, I think about, if I think about last World Cup, for example, in 2019, because I had England a lot in that tournament, <laughs> and, you know, you had sort of, you know, England versus Uganda England versus South Africa, England versus Jamaica, Jamaica versus South Africa, all on that one side of the draw. And this sort of, you know, series of really tough, close, hard contested games. And then on the other side of the draw, really, um, you know, Australia didn't have quite as hard a time until, um, apart from the New Zealand game, you know, and then they got to the semi against South Africa and, you know, South Africa really put it out there. They really put it out there and they were sort of a hair's breadth away from, you know, causing a massive, massive upset. So sometimes I think that when when you perhaps don't have those challenges in the earlier rounds, um, you may not be as prepared when they come. And so, mm. yeah, I guess I get, I'm sure there's, there's things to be said for both approaches, but um, I often, you know, you do wonder that sometimes. I mean, yeah, I, I mean, watching that first game, you know, where Australia had such a, a massive win and, I mean, you know, well, it's lovely to win by a lot. That doesn't win you the tournament, and yeah. uh, I guess that I'm sure that's that's I'm sure that is foremost in Stacey Marinkovic's mind. Uh, but you know, I do kind of hope that Australia, you know, are challenged. Um, mm-hmm. You know, they do have those sort of tough games against South Africa, against Jamaica, um, because I think they'll probably benefit a lot more from those than you know if they kind of continue to chug along. We'll give them a good game, Michelle. Don't worry. Yes, I know you will, but we won't see you for a while. <laughs> <laughs> but I, I think this. I think you're absolutely right. I think you're you're completely bang on. And we've spoken a little bit about you know Jamaica, South Africa. I think Jamaica are 
really singing. I think we've got some stuff on the hashtag about them. Yeah, we've got loads coming in on the hashtag. Thanks so much, everyone who's tweeting in. Um, So Jeremy has just said that Australia drew against Jamaica in the preliminary rounds at the 2006 Commonwealth Games. Good facts there. Um, and that we've was had... a cracking game too, may I say. They came from yeah. a nine-goal deficit in the last quarter and it was amazing. Oh, <laughs> I really hope we see something similar to that. Other people have been, a couple of people actually messaging in. Um, Emmy and Carolyn have said, um, do people think that Jamaica could cause an upset in swimming pool A uh, by winning the group? <laughs> That's interesting mm. as well. Um, And lots of other comments coming in. Um, We don't unfortunately have time to read all of them out, but lots of comments on there on the hashtag about the Joe and Helen combo. Like to see Helen back at goal shooter, Ellie out at at GA, all sorts of stuff going on. So yeah, thanks everyone for your comments. Yeah, keep them coming. It's hashtag B2022netball. But I think with with Jamaica, I do want to dig into that a little bit closer because I I do think that they absolutely have potential to make finals. But we're looking at the stats this morning before this space. And after two matches, Jamaica have had 31 match play errors, which includes footwork, uh, bad hands, offside or other. And that's about 15 per game having played two games. That's, That's pretty pretty high and I think when you compare that to the Roses who've had 17 across the two games Diamonds have had 19 after two games that is a lot more and we've spoken about Jamaica and the problem um with their consistency and in the midcourt but actually with these stats to mind is the clinicality of their performance going to be their undoing now Vix do you think they have potential to make finals it's interesting what what you were saying about the stats and and obviously I was focused on every second of the the Wales Jamaica game and and there mm. was some some discipline issues certainly um towards the end of the game um particularly from some some midcourt players and I do think that's a real area that that they need to grow and sort out both the discipline and and how that area connects the 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 defense and the shooters as well so uh, as it as it stands if if they put out performances like that with that many errors sorry errors I um you know, I, I can't see them getting to a, a final anytime soon. But it you know, it could, could be an easy fix, a good talking to, a good training session, and we could see them come out and perform completely differently in an a different way over the coming days. Um mm-hmm. who knows? Lucy, what were the breakdown of that? How many were against Wales and how many were against South Africa? Oh gosh, let me I'll, I'll find out. It. Yeah, because I, I would think that a lot of that were against Wales. <laughs> I and, I actually that, think it was pretty even. We're gonna we're gonna look so, that up while you chat. Yeah, okay. Because I I think Jamaica when um, games are relatively easy, and to be honest, that the South Africa game blew out um, from my mind um, at international level. That's sort of a blowout game. I think they get a little bit complacent. Um, You know, I think they take it easy. I think the scary thing about Jamaica is that you can't make a mistake and you can't miss a shot. Um, Mm. And it's the clinicalness of the opposition that they have to put out. They have to play their best game against Jamaica um, to be, you know, with Janelle Fowler scoring the number of goals. I think, was it in the SSM, Michelle, you can quote me, you know, she was scoring over 60 goals a game. Like, yeah, that would Mm. would easily be it. I mean, that's something they have that capacity to score so quickly. Yeah. Yeah. And and they're not even two pointers, them. They're like one pointer. So for a team to beat like Jamaica, and I know the thing is that they're they're not all one. 
they're, they're not all two-pointers, but she can put the two-pointers in when she needs to. And, I mean, that's the thing that, yeah. you know, I think people underestimate about her. People say, oh, you know, she's a tall shooter. You just saw a lob. She shoots under the post. And, I mean, that that I think underestimates her hugely. You know, she's she's tall, but she's mobile. She can shoot at range. She rebounds fantastically. She yeah. um, she really is the complete package. And she is so potent for them as a weapon. And, as you say, you can't make a mistake because they can really punish you quickly. But I guess that's the whole thing around the discipline that, you know, while they can do that, the capacity to do that with a degree of consistency is where at times they do fall down against teams that are better drilled. Um, and, you know, if they can yeah. string that together for 60 minutes, to be honest, they could win the tournament. Absolutely they could. Um, but it's that ability to maintain the level they're capable of playing at for the entire game. So we've, we've actually got those stats now. So the... Um, the match play errors from Jamaica is actually a pretty even split. They had a 16 against Wales. There was one offside, 11 uh, handling errors, two, uh, three footworks, and then one other. I can't actually think of what the other could be. Um, so it's actually a pretty even split, 16 against Wales, and then the rest, um, oh God, my maths, 15 against uh, South Africa. <laughs> um, yeah, testing my GCSE maths there. Um, so, yeah, I, I mean, I think that's fascinating. Yeah, I think anyone who is going to beat Jamaica have to have the best shooters and the best midcourt because by the time it gets to <laughs> defensive midcourt, because by the time it gets to Janiel Fowler, you know, you, you, you're looking at the centre pass, you're looking at the centre circle instantly as soon as it gets to her. So <laughs> I think I think for any nation to beat, and that's where Australia really run well against Jamaica because consistently across the board from end to end, you know, they're, they're pretty strong all the way across the board. Um, I think the difference now with Jamaica is their back end is it is unreal, isn't it? Um, mm. The way they've, and they've been playing together in the Sun Court this year, and they've been playing exceptionally well, been keeping teams to below fifty goals. So you know you, you've, you've got to be the shooters have to be on form when they play Jamaica um, because you know that back end are coming for you. And like I say, Jamaica, Jamaica play when they want to play and. Uh, they've come to this last night. I think they stamped a lot of intention to many teams that, that they're coming to compete. And with Rob Wright on the coaching bench now, with that you know that Australian background, I think they are a threat. Yeah, a hundred percent. And we know that Rob's been focusing specifically on that defence end as well. And it, it's just it's almost too much talent for one team. Like they're being greedy. They need to share it out a little bit. But um, another thing that we wanted to touch on is uh, sort of starting lineup, starting sevens versus a sort of constant rotation of 12. Um, obviously, very fortunately, we're able to go behind the scenes and do some post-match interviews across the games. And Knowles was really upfront with us in the interview saying that she outright does not know what her starting seven is. Jess said that she didn't really have a starting seven in any of the positions and definitely doesn't have a fixed centre. Stacey said something very similar. Tracy, would you say that this is probably accurate or do you think there's a little bit of coaching tactics going on about not wanting to actually reveal who that core group is in fear of being exposed or do they <laughs> genuinely not have a starting seven? I think every single person on this call knows what the starting seven is yeah. for, potentially. <laughs> I think I think the difference is um, with New Zealand, they're a, an unknown entity. Um, 
from sorry from my perspective they're an entity I think they've got a couple of styles that they can play they can play more of a rotation they can play more of a prop shooter so they've got a little bit more flexibility within that but I think there's no doubt that if we were to pick our teams here Australian you know Jamaica <laughs> and Roses I'm sure we'd have a, I'm sure we'd not be far away from the, um, the coaches line up mm. and even with New Zealand I think you'd have a good shot you know people have been watching them through um, you know, the the cup they played just earlier on in the year. I can't even remember what it's called, but um, you know, I think everyone watched that and realised which players were you know were coming to the forefront. Mm. Yeah, it's interesting. Vicky, what are your thoughts? Are they just playing coaching mind games? Well, well I would say the same. We don't know who <laughs> No, it's a question. I could guess yours as well, Vicky. Say again. <laughs> <laughs> You'd have to ask Sarah. You'd have to ask Sarah, Sarah Moore that one. Uh, <laughs> but I, I think it's you know eleven out of our, our twelve played against Jamaica and they got they got good court time. So you know everyone is is in contention. That's why they're here at the Commonwealth Games. Mm. I suppose as well, it's a question around the depth of the bench. Like we've seen, it's been spoken about a lot that um, England have more depth in the squad than they've probably ever had before. So although I think you're right, Trace, we probably could pick a pretty solid seven roses that's likely to start. They do really have the the depth of the bench to be able to bring anyone on. And I would say that Jamaica are, are really getting there as well. Maybe not so much in the midcourt, but absolutely defensively. And with the shooters, Shimona Nelson's come on exponentially in the last few years. Mm. And I think that's where South Africa get exposed because I don't think they still don't have that depth on the bench to be able to sort of change the game, really. But... um. We're going to just a very, very conscious time. We did say we we're going to be quite strict, stick into an hour. We, we might run over ever so slightly. Um, but we just wanted to talk. Oh, we're going to go to the hashtag first. Going to go to the hashtag. Yeah, so thanks so much, everyone, for all your bits and bobs coming in on the hashtag. Um, just a few bits. Um, hi to Sarah Quinn, who's written in and said, it felt that the Jamaica discipline errors came more from the midcourt players who are less experienced at a higher level, thinks shooters and defenders were cleaner from memory. And um, we've got other some comments here. Oh, Junior Levi's written in again to say, if and when Jamaica beat the Diamonds, SSN will have finally reached its peak goal. Yes. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> Very amusing there. Um, and Savage. lots of um, just support for all the teams. And a comment here about the Scotland versus Wales matchup. Might want to listen up to this one, Vicky. Key for me will be restriction of Beth and Dyke. She was on fire with the circle edge feeds against Jamaica. For Scotland, we'll need to turn and exploit the one-on-one when it's on. We have amazing feeders and love their ability to hit the edge against Australia. Hope you're taking notes there. So, um, yeah, it's, lots um, of stuff coming in. It, it'll actually be, if she takes the court, it'll be Beth and Dyke's 50th cap for Wales. Oh, um, that's amazing. Yeah, we've got, oh. we've got three potential 50th caps this weekend, this week. So Beth and Dyke then... Nia Jones, who it may surprise you that she's not already at 50. She seems like she's <laughs> yeah. a lot. Um, but don't forget, she, she's an international footballer as well. So she's she's dual capped for her country. And then Georgia Rowe later on in the week. So, yeah, a great experienced team on court for Wales. Yeah, and shout out as well um, to Tapia Selby-Rickett, Shadeen van der Merwe and Kanisa Chawani, who have all uh, notched up their 50th cap as well um, so far in the game. So big shout out to them. Now, just to wrap up, we don't we don't want to end on a negative by any means, but it would be remiss of us if we didn't mention the broadcasting issues that we had yesterday. Um, obviously, 
we were under the impression, and I think um, BBC confirmed that they were going to be streaming all of the games um, live on BBC iPlayer, but it turns out that that is uh, not the case, although all games should, I say should, <laughs> be available to watch on replay. Um, but the, the talking point for me around this is not so much that the BBC didn't stream, because we understand now that there's only 11 channels in which they can stream all of the games throughout the um Commonwealth Games, all the all the sports about the Commonwealth Games, sorry, but it's the lack of communication that exists around what is and isn't going to be broadcast. All sports deserve visibility and deserve that exposure in the streaming. So it's not necessarily that netball deserves to be prioritised more than anything else, because obviously all of these other sports are to those fans what netball is to us. But for me, it's that communication that is lacking, um, and just letting the fans know what is is going on. Um, don't really have a question for, for any of you, but if any of you have any thoughts or comments on that, feel free to, yeah. to say something. I do, Luke. I think it, it's really key and, and you know, I don't think it's it's for us to decide what people want to watch. I saw, saw a lot on Twitter yesterday, people saying, well, why are they showing 3v3 basketball or lawn bowls instead of netball? And actually, I think there's, there's a, a huge viewership for lawn bowls and 3v3 basketball is is really exciting but as you say there's there's 27 sports and eight para sports at this commonwealth Games, so there's a lot to be put on tv i, I think it, it is the communication you're absolutely right and nia jones actually on twitter summed it up really really well she said you know where's the legacy of, of england women the last commonwealth games if all netball isn't being shown in in england at the next com games and i think mm. that's true and I, I i don't think bbc will underestimate the power of the the netball fan base for much longer so I expect that we will see um, a bit more netball on but there are still tickets available so if people are within local vicinity of Birmingham and you, you are free to come I do recommend trying to get a ticket and watching it live it, only if you can obviously for, there's people that that can't make it and and TV's essential for that but it but if you are close do pop and get a ticket because because it's a very very special experience yeah yeah Oh, sorry, I think, go on, I mean, I think, no, that's all right. I think that's a great point you make, Vicky, about the fact that, you know, we need to appreciate it is a multi-sport event. And as a result, you know, there are competing priorities. And there are fans of other sports that very rarely may get to watch their sport on TV too. So, you know, this is a pinnacle event for them. They have the right to to see their fans, uh, for their fans to see them also. I mean, I guess one thing from an umpiring perspective about not getting the footage, um, not having having um, these things televised, is it means we don't actually get the footage. <laughs> and mm. I know that some of the umpires from last night are still waiting for the footage so they can review their games. Um, yeah. So, you know, in terms of... Um, in terms of us as participants, you know, we don't have our own performance analysis team. So getting that footage is actually quite critical. Uh, so I guess that, that is one one little-known flow-in effect of, of things not being televised, that it um, that it does impact. But, look, I do, I do think, obviously, um, England's win in, in 2018 was huge for the profile of netball, and you saw a lot of that at 2019 in Liverpool and the impact that that it had. Um, and so, I mean, look, I think it is disappointing from that perspective in terms of that progression of the growth of the sport um, as a as a professional sport, as an elite sport, as a sport people are aspiring to play and it needs to be visible for that. And while obviously there are competing priorities, um, yeah, you would hope that there would be communication around if you can't watch it live, when you can watch it and where you can find it. Um, and that, I suppose, shows we still have a little way to go in, in, um, in getting that sort of um, priority 
amongst those competing interests. You know, it sort of tells us where we sit a little bit, which might be a bit, you know, pretty pretty sad. So, yeah. Um, so, yeah, yeah. I mean, while you try and be balanced, I think, and look at it from a whole of sport perspective at a multi-sport event, um, you kind of go, you know, isn't netball worth a little bit more than that? Yeah, I, I completely see where you're coming from. And I think, actually, it's almost been compounded by the fact that we – um, and this is no slight to Sky Netball at all, but the fact that we did have a lot of broadcasting errors and glitches and technical issues in the VNSL last season for our UK-based fans, it's almost like that that kind of makes it all worse because it's all the BBC coverage is now being uh, sort of put on top of what we all the struggles we had from VNSL this year as well. But there's a lot of thoughts on the hashtag for this as well. Yeah, so um, Roshan said, um, although I'm a netball girly through and through and, and was disappointed that the netball wasn't on i do think the bashing of other sports on the stream shouldn't happen all sports should be able to coexist but the bbc lack of comms was unacceptable um few other comments that have come in um aisha may said absolutely it is communication even the home nations are unsure if their matches will be live now as they put as they post this morning and i think there was just mass confusion yesterday you know we were obviously at the venue we were trying to find out what's going on <laughs> at first everyone was saying oh it's a technical issue that there was that really just that mass confusion and and um, Sarah Quinn said as well, also some streams were running with no footage last night. Um, and M said, totally agree. It's comms, which is the key issue. Shouldn't have been left up to Stacey Francis Bayman to mm. provide the initial info re-11 streams, which is very true. Yeah, thanks for that, Stacey, if you're listening, <laughs> if you're going to listen back to this. But um, yeah, I mean, we, we don't want to end it on a negative, um, but it, it is something that we had to address. And we will, of course, try and keep you as updated as we can uh, throughout the games if we do have any more of these issues. Uh, but before we wrap up, um, I want to come to each of you and ask you, what is your gold, silver, bronze medal predictions? Michelle, I'm going to put you in the hotspot and put you first. I'm sorry. Oh, wow. Me first. <laughs> oh, look, I mean, I guess, look, for me, oh, this is very hard. Um, <laughs> shall I, shall I, I let you off or shall I go to Tracy first? <laughs> Go to Tracy first. Go on, Tracy. I'm putting you on the hotspot now. Um, I just want roses to run. I don't care who comes second. <laughs> <laughs> to be honest. I wish you said that, Tracy. That's the only medal I want the roses to win. <laughs> yes, Tracy. <laughs> okay, so roses obviously taking gold. Who do you think will get silver and bronze? Who, me? Yeah. I don't care. <laughs> who do you think though who do you I, think I, I, do you know what? I, I don't who do you want to play I, Tracy <laughs> um, well, I think uh, I, I'm just trying to think uh, I, I, I actually don't care as long as they win fair Ooh. enough I, I'll I take that I think, I think the, the, you know when you look when you look at the good games that the Roses have played you know when I, when I think back to 2018 they had some great games They've had some great games against Australia, New Zealand and Jamaica. You know, if you think about the deficits that they've won and lost over the last few years, it's almost been one goal. So any of them three nations, I think, will, will be up for that gold medal. So I think it, it, it doesn't matter as long as they win for me. Right. Love that. Right, Michelle, I'm going to come back to you. Gold medal bro uh, oh, bronze. Coming back to me. Oh, for the silver and bronze. Well, it's interesting. I mean, certainly coming into this, I do think England has an edge. Um, I think the experience is a massive edge for them. Um, and particularly in terms of um, 
I think having players like Jeeva and Jade Clark and just the fact that they've been here before. I think the experience of having had the Home World Cup in 2019, um, coming off the gold medal, coming home to a Home World Cup, seeing what the pressure is like being a home team, because I know that was something the Diamonds spoke about a lot um, in their 2015 World Cup, that it's not always easy being the host. So Mm. I think having had that experience is going to be very valuable for them. Um, And I think, to be honest, the nice headache they have around the goalers might actually be – might actually play to their advantage because if Helen and Joe can sit down and have the conversation, Tracy suggests and sort that out, and they have Ellie Cardwell um, Mm. in the form that she's in, um, you know, I think whatever combination they start with, um, if their opposition is sitting there saying, well, you know, they've got that string to pull on us at any time and we're going to have to adapt is – is huge. So, I mean, I think a lot of players in really strong form, (laughs) a lot of experience. So it will be interesting to see. That said, the one thing I think that Australia has shown so far that might get them over the edge is Gretel Bueda and the form that she is in. Um, You know, I am an unashamed fan of Gretel. I think she is an incredible athlete and I think (laughs) has gone through through an amazing sort of – journey as a player coming from her basketball background being quite maligned in Australia for being unconventional and now I think being so embraced for the fact she is unorthodox and she can do things that other players can't do and she's so difficult to play as a result Um, and I think that that connection between her and Liz Watson um, I think playing her in goal shooter is um, a superb decision by Stacey Marinkovic I think that works Mm. really really well uh, so I think, you know, she's probably the X factor that will get Australia over the line if they're to get over the line. Um, I would love to see Jamaica string it together. I think consistency is a big question mark for me. Yeah. Michelle, who's um, going to win? Who's going to win, Michelle? I do think England will win. I would tip England. <laughs> yes, I, I Michelle. <laughs> Lisa Alexander, on a po- I did an interview with her the other day. She said that Australia will win silver. And I was like, you're Aussie. Surely you should say the Aussies. Uh, look, I, I don't know. I mean, I think I think on the paper and I, when I add all those things up, definitely. But, you know, I don't count Australia out by any means. And, um, you know, certainly I think that, you know, as I said, I think if they win it will be because of Gretel. Absolutely. Mm. Uh, but just you like, say you know, anybody if, else if, New, England, if New Zealand come up with the goods, I think it will be because of Nolene. Because honestly, you know that la- that lady has uh, that lady has so much up her sleeve that we haven't seen yet. Probably so. Who knows? I just think it's going to be very exciting, and um, you know we're in we're in for a really big treat. But how? I mean, how great is this that we can sit here and debate who's going to win gold for ages and ages? Like, we've, there's so many different options now, and that just speaks to the the well, position that World the, Netball is in. Yeah, I mean, that's the great thing that you know, once upon yeah. a time it would have been a two horse race, and now it's not. And I just yeah. think that's so amazing for World Netball. And how we've gone over an hour without talking about Gretel Beretta before absolutely <laughs> blows my mind. But we could do a whole podcast episode on her, so I'm going to gloss over that. Um, Vicky. Gold, silver, bronze. Well, obviously Wales are going to win gold. Um, <laughs> England are going to win silver. And then Scotland and Northern Ireland are going to draw for bronze. <laughs> <laughs> Vicky, no. you're new into that position, aren't you? <laughs> <laughs> no, I love your optimism, Vic. So I love the optimism. <laughs> I, I would love that to happen. But, but in reality, um, I, I think it will be a really tight final between England and I think Australia. And I, I do think that the crowd will, will really help England push on for, for the win. Um, bronze is, is difficult. I, I do think if, if Jamaica can sort out their discipline and sort out those errors, they'd be really good contenders. But again, 
New Zealand, you know, we, we can't write them off for, for anything. And, and yes, mm-hmm. they're, they're a relatively new squad in terms of the, what, we, what we're used to seeing. But um, yeah, I just think they're going to get better and better as those sort of connections start to start to click over the, the next few days. So I, I, I would I'd say I'd put I'd say now uh, New Zealand for bronze. Yeah, love that. Amazing. Oh, guys, thank you so, so much for your time this morning. Apologies, we have run over a little bit, um, but it's been absolutely incredible to hear your thoughts, expertise and experiences. Um, and thank you, everyone, for listening. There's been so many of you getting in touch on the hashtag. So, so many. many that I couldn't keep up. Sorry, everyone. <laughs> yeah, we'll try and read out as many as we can. Um, but just a reminder as well for a few things we've got coming up. Of course, we have um, recorded our regular recorded episodes coming out uh, throughout the course of the Games. We have our in-person Netball Twitter meetup happening. So excited for this. It's going to be on Saturday the 6th between 12 and 2 in between the semi-finals games at the Las Iguanas at um, Resorts World. Would absolutely love to see um, as many of you there as possible. And the next two live podcasts that we are doing, uh, Friday the 5th of August, 8 till 9pm, and Saturday the 6th um, after the semi-finals, 6 till 7.30. We've made that a little bit longer because I think we might have a lot to talk about. Yeah. And of course, very, very special guests um, for both of those pods as well. So stay tuned and we'll give you all the details as soon as we can. And thank you once again. Enjoy the rest of the games, everyone.